What's the latest, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the In the Paint Show presented by Ball is Live. Devin Cleveland and Ronnie Flores coming to you remotely from their respective abodes. Ronnie's back in Vegas. Um, unfortunately, the the bars and casinos and everything's closed up. So Ronnie's got to stay in the house a little bit and, you know, take care of uh, what's going on in the house. Ronnie, how was the drive to Vegas? Pretty smooth? Uh, yeah, it was actually really smooth a little bit you know actually there's cars in la again i'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that during the pod like but once you get out into the open road 15 there's it's way less people way less traffic but yeah i noticed there's a lot more people out uh just in general in la and obviously we saw what was happening at the beaches some of the beaches especially like in orange county but uh looks like that's coming to an end a lot of things are happening Devin, in uh quarantine time uh with ncaa with the G League, uh, obviously people are watching The Last Dance, so I'm sure we'll get into those three topics a bit, and we'll touch on the name, image, likeness a lot more in our next pod next week with some special guests. But this week we're going to talk about uh, kind of what we got going on with Ball is Life in this quarantine time, and we'll talk about uh, The Last Dance a bit. I guess that's what people are kind of enthralled or in tune in sports right now uh Devin like real quick I want to get your take because obviously uh you saw the tail end of Jordan's career is uh the like is this the best thing you've ever seen or it's just it's okay you know it's a great doc it's it's just done okay what, what's your take so far yeah uh before we get before I get into that I want to make it clear to everyone I'm a guy who is from Orange County yeah. I'm I grew up in Huntington Beach um, but here's here's what I want you to know. I don't go to the beach. I may look like I go to the beach because I got hair, the blonde hair, whatever. I talk a certain way. I'm not one of those people. I've been in my house for like the last month and a half. I don't go to the beach. Don't lump me in with Huntington Beach and all those psychos who live there. That's not me. I wasn't in that protest. I don't do that. I stay at home. I don't go to the beach. I prefer to be in the mountains in the beach. But back to your point, um, yeah, I think it's it's just it's a good documentary, and I think it's so you know again like you said I saw the tail end of Jordan's career. Um, I remember you know his battles with the Jazz in those finals more sure. so than I would against the Pistons. So for me, it's interesting to to see what um, the game was like back then, the sure. perception of Jordan back then, and kind of get a feel for. Uh, his rise and how he came to be the player he is. But you see people on Twitter just like, oh, this is the best documentary I've ever seen. Oh, this is so great. Oh, this is amazing. Oh, my God. Just gushing over it. I th- I think it's just another really good sports documentary. I think it's probably being overblown because we don't have sports right now. Correct. Which is smart marketing and smart. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they lucked, out. they lucked out in that sense. Yeah, like, yeah. We're going to plan for the pandemic and be like, we're going to do it in April of 2020 when everyone's going to be at home and all this, all sports across the world are canceled. Yeah. They, got, they lucked out and they're, you know, benefiting from you know, what's going on right now. And unfortunately, that's kind of the way you have to put it. Well, I wanted to get your take on today's podcast about episodes three and four. And first, you know, the main takeaway that I I got from it was, the relationship or the strained relationship between Michael Jordan, Isaiah Thomas and how that kind of was sparked because of the Eastern conference finals 
when sure. the Bulls finally beat the bad boy Pistons and the Pistons um, under the kind of uh, push of, of uh, uh, Palace Verde's finest. Yeah, Lambeer. Will Lambeer, you know, walked off the court, didn't congratulate uh, the Bulls on winning. What's your overall takeaway from that walk-off? And is that the reason why Isaiah Thomas was not selected to that 92 dream team? Yeah, I think, um, like you said, that was a, a, a thing you could even see then in live that they didn't like each other. Uh, the teams didn't like each other. I think it's funny, Devin, uh, James Edwards, who was kind of like their backup center, he's still throwing pop shots all over the place on his social media. Like, they, they still don't like each other. So he won, I, a title. he won a title with the Bulls. Yeah, a- animosity is real. Um, yeah, it's funny because a couple players went on to play for the Bulls. You know what I mean? Just like Rodman. So when Rodman shoves De- uh, Scotty Pippen to the ground after they know that series is basically over. And I think overall it helped the Bulls become a better team, a closer team, um, mentally stronger team, a better team. And, uh, yeah, I think the animosity is real. I do think there was bad timing on Isaiah Thomas's part because that's when the Olympic Committee was forming their team. Uh, now, there's a lot of people who think, again, Magic Johnson is has this happy-go-lucky attitude, and Magic Johnson um, was going to be a big part of that dream team because they thought it was okay because he played in the night to All-Star game. And 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 it the things change in a year or whatnot. Like okay, maybe this guy is not going to transfer HIV to anybody. He can play on this team. So when Jordan obviously clearly didn't want Isaiah Thomas on the team. So a lot of people think that it's Magic Johnson that really could have green lighted it or been like, I'm not playing if Isaiah doesn't play too. Right. right. So I think Isaiah was like. Uh, blindsided by that a little bit and they did talk of they had that sit down meeting Isaiah and Magic maybe about a year or two ago um how they had like a face-to-face on they're sitting on like couch chairs and they kind of yeah. meet up um a bit because they, they they fell out really after that dream team because uh Isaiah Thomas had said some unflattering things uh at the time Magic Johnson was trying to defend himself or he would come on talk shows uh he would come on talk shows to talk about, like, you know, I'm not homosexual. <laughs> like, he was trying to make it, like, where he was putting himself in a decent light because he had, in essence, repair his, his image. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So a lot of people didn't like – and, and he, there were some comments made by Isaiah Thomas that Magic didn't like. So they had a falling out. So I some people think that Magic could have really pushed him, like, yo, let's have him on the team. He deserves it. Where everybody just went along with Jordan, like, yeah, no problem. Nobody made a big deal of it to be like, yo, this guy deserves to be on the team. Because a lot of people around the league didn't like the Pistons at the time for whether they, the way they carried themselves or whether they didn't play. So that, back to your point, that was just bad timing, right? Because they yeah. showed clips of the 88 Eastern Conference Finals. And in the 87 Eastern Conference Finals, the Pistons basically gave it away. Uh, Larry Bird had to come up with a miraculous steal and save game five. 
Or else the Pistons probably would have went to the finals in eight, in 87. I mean, Bird pulled one out of his ass. The Pistons were basically right there on the verge. They were a younger team. You know, they were deeper. As we mentioned before on previous pods, the, with Len Bias dying, Boston didn't really, like, get younger at all. They didn't add no athletic pieces, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so Boston kind of was t- toward the tail end of their run. And they, they showed the clip of Bird kind of walking off with the Celtics. And um, that year before, Dennis Rodman had made some silly marks that Larry Bird gets us so much credit because he's white. But it was attributed to Isaiah. And Isaiah uh, had to have a – it was so big, Isaiah had had a press conference in the middle of the Eastern Conference Finals. And Bird came on and was like, if Bird would have – just imagine, Devin, if Bird would have said, Isaiah and the Pistons are racist. Like, if he would have made a big deal of it, oh, it would have been totally blown up. He said, hey, this is a waste of time. I'm out of here. Like, in typical Bird fashion, like, I'm not going to – this has nothing to do with me. He said that statement, not me, when it really was Rodman. Yeah. So, uh, Bird kind of diffused it, and Bird was just like, whatever. I'm out of here. So. He kind of took the same approach the next year. But again, in 1988, the Dream Team selections weren't on the line. There was nothing. Nobody thought about it. It was just – and you could see there was a, uh, a really, like, prominent image of Kevin McHale and Isaiah Thomas kind of, like, embracing what Kevin was kind of walking off. And right. that's a really big, um, like, NBA piece, NBA promo that has been shown over and over and over so the imagery is really powerful. You know what I mean? Like the imagery of the Pistons walking off is really powerful. And it was powerful. And they were they talked about it in that Dream Team documentary. It was just bad timing for Isaiah. So yeah. everybody's like, oh, they didn't make a big deal about Larry Bird. Well, first of all, like Isaiah Thomas is not Larry Bird. <laughs> so let's just that's just what it is. I mean, he has a different stance in the league. People didn't like the Pistons. I don't think I, I think people looked at the Celtics as they have a rivalry with the Lakers, but nobody's really hates the Celtics. It's just everybody loves them realistically. Mm-hmm. So that's just the reality of life. Not everybody's treated the same. I mean, look at, look at the weight that Jordan had on that team or, or, or magic, obviously Clyde Drexler and Chris Mullen didn't have that stance. Nobody's asking Chris Mullen or John Stockton. Hey, what do you think about Isaiah not being on the dream team? It's always comes back to Jordan and magic or Jordan and or magic, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh yeah, to answer your original question, I think Isaiah's just gonna get the short end of the stick on a lot of those things because he is looked at as the guy like in between this great Dr. J kind of saving the NBA thing to Magic and Bird becoming like these icons in sports and taking the NBA to a whole nother level, and then Jordan kind of taking the marketing of the NBA to the whole ever level. But people forget, whoa, 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 the Pistons won two titles in between that time. Like, how are you guys just throwing that to the side? I think that's what always seems like. People are like, okay, they won, but, like, it's Jordan's time. But, like, the Pistons went to five Eastern Conference Finals, and, Devin, they were right on the verge. Like, they could have won the 88 title. I'm sure they think they gave the 88 title away. And they know they gave the 87 Eastern Finals away. So, you're. it's like, I don't think Isaiah Thomas is – stancing or like placing history is completely like uh not deserving but like it doesn't get the recognition or credit it deserves yeah like you said he's kind of sandwiched 
between three guys, like you said, Dr. J, Magic Bird, who basically saved the NBA. Yeah. um, After you know the mid to late seventies, kind of took a took a dip, and people were weren't as interested as they were in the sixties into the early seventies. And Jerry West and and Oscar Robertson and and Wilt Chamberlain kind of made the NBA popular. Um, And then you have a generational greatest player of all time. Michael Jordan, like you said, who took the marketing, the shoes, the kind of um, uh, off the court uh, dressing, clothing, you know, being cool, took it to another level, all that stuff. And then you have Isaiah Thomas, who was kind of, you know, that gritty guy. Quirky, a little goofy, you know. Played for for an unlikable team, the the bad boy Pistons. And that kind of leads me into the next question is, where do you, you know, the, the, Bad boy Pistons, where do you see them fitting into the modern NBA? I, I feel like three or four of the guys on that team would be ejected nightly in the current yeah. state of the NBA. Well, it's, I mean, would, would they put impose their will on the NBA or would the NBA crack down on them? I think that's the thing. I think Isaiah made a great point. He's like, why does Michael Jordan got with Tim Grover – and kind of revolutionized like off-season training and NBA's athletes taking their training to the next level. Like I'm sure Dev, uh, Dev you would think Tiger Woods probably did the same thing for golf. Like yeah. this is a whole other ball game. Yeah. Oh yeah. He, changed, he completely changed the game. He completely yeah, changed. Isaiah made a great point. Why is Jordan getting credit? Because he worked out. Like you're a millionaire. That's what you should be doing. Like we made him better. Like yeah. I think that's a good point. Like and I think. Jordan, those guys would look at it like those. They respect those guys in the terms of they made us better players, you know. So, um, would the NBA be cracking down on these guys? Probably so because they probably, like you said, modern. They like Steph Curry. They like uh, Kevin Durant uh, and any other star, LeBron James. If they didn't want to play like that, these guys would kind of be pushed to the side. So, um, they made some great moves too. Like we talk about the Bulls. You know, they were kind of right on the cusp there, and and uh, they traded for Mark Aguirre, uh, got a little younger. Uh, Adrian Dantley was traded away. Um, they were good, skilled players. I think that's what people are not – like your guy Lambeer, he could really shoot. James Edwards had this beautiful fallaway shot. Yeah. Uh, they played good team ball. Uh, when Aguirre came in, he can score, gave up. Aguirre was uh, – Damn near a guy who people thought would win a scoring title, NBA scoring title, 28 points a game, 29 points a game with, with Dallas. And he totally changed his, 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 uh, his kind of like what he was supposed to do with the Pistons. Adrian Danley did not want to give up the playing time to Dennis Rodman. It was obvious. Yeah. Uh, Chuck Daly was like, Dennis, we need you to do this. And he's like, well, don't you want, there's a famous clip and he goes, don't you want AD in? He's all, no, you dipshit. I want you in. Like Chuck Daly just ripped like, I'm ch- like, get the confidence to play. We need you. I don't want AD in. I want you in. And so when he traded him, it wasn't so much to get Aguirre. It was to let Rodman blow up to the player that we all know he became. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. And, and kind of what happened. So uh, I think they would adjust to Devin. I think they would tone it down because uh, Dennis, Dennis, Joe Dumars and a few other guys, they they move their feet well. They they just play good D. Yeah, you can see Lambeer or somebody give him a shove or hitting. Oh, that's my thing. So pic- picture in your head Steph Curry driving the basket and Mahorn or Lambeer coming over and just crushing him. 
they'd yeah. be they'd be suspended for half yeah. the season for one hit. Yeah, uh, I just like to kind of look at look back at, at that era and then compare it to what we have now and see the differences in just physicality and the way the games played. Both games have their ups and downs and positives and negatives. Uh, but yeah, some of those players in the eighties, early nineties, you know, into the mid nineties wouldn't have, wouldn't have been able to really play in, in this current state of the NBA if they didn't change a whole lot of what they did with their game. Yeah. But you know, the Jordan was like, you mentioned, I'm going to cut you off. Like yeah, they, no, no. Were, they were too good. Like they were, yes, it was let's pound Michael Jordan when he gets in the key, but also they had legitimate defensive strategies. If he goes left, we're going to double from here. If he mm-hmm. goes, let's force him. So it was, they would adjust. Sure, they would be getting fine and shit, and you know maybe a few of their players wouldn't be as effective today because of the, all the three point shooting and and you know maybe faster players, etc. But um, you know they they would uh, force the NBA some guys to be better players. I think hit the weights more, that kind of thing. It, it, it really helped Michael Jordan in that team. Um, yeah. that's the bottom line, I like. I like that Jordan and, and a lot of the Bulls guys kind of alluded to that those Pistons really made them into what they became. Sure. Oh, no doubt. As a team, those, those battles made, you know, the physicality, the, you know, getting crushed in, in the paint uh, made most of those Bulls guys, like you look at Pippen, he, he became just jacked, right? I mean, from 87, 88, 89, when he became in the league as a, you know, kind of a rail thin guy. You yeah. look at him in the early to you know mid nineties on the those three championship runs, and he's he's just well built. Oh um, yeah, Jordan stronger. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I like that's the way I look at Jordan is, um, you know, when you look at the young Jordan, and you look at like he had basically, my opinion, he was his best in ninety two, maybe going into ninety three. That was like the peak of his career. He was slightly slightly more explosive, if you could believe that, than he was in the second run. The second run, he was maybe 15 pounds heavier, 10 pounds heavier, strong, big shoulder. He relied more on the jumper. But even that Jordan is still, like, the best player or, like, one of the two or three best players ever. You know, the young Jordan was spectacular, meaning under uh, Doug Collins. Yeah. Like, you kind of talked about, man, he was so athletic. He was all over the place, stealing, playing good D. Stealing the ball coast to coast, but he wasn't getting the team results. So when he kind of improved his jumper, improved his his uh, his fundamentals, just his his jumper became better. Where he kind of used his explosiveness became better. He was a little wild his rookie year, but I mean he was still really, obviously, really, really, really good. Yeah. He was already one of the five to ten best players in the league, like right away. And then he became like the best player in the league by like eighty eight. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he was the MVP in '88, but like he did everything. Yeah, and then like he became a smarter, more efficient player in those first three runs when he was still really explosive. Then when he came back, he be- yeah, he became a jump shooter, but he was still really good and and still explosive. Maybe just not quite as explosive as the the first three titles, but yeah. again, how stronger and how mentally good he was, you know, it made a big difference. So, right. yeah, um, another, another layer of that Bulls team was Dennis Rodman, and they spent a good chunk of time uh, you know, delving into his past and how he ended up uh, becoming who the player who he was. And he's another interesting story like Scottie Pippen that we discussed last week yeah. where he didn't play high school. Robin didn't even play high school basketball. He went yeah. to 
Southeastern Oklahoma State after his mom kicked him out because he was sitting around being a lazy, a well, lazy ass, right? Yeah. And he just ended up, you know, becoming a – I mean, at Southeastern Oklahoma State, he was a scorer and rebounder. He averaged 20-plus points and obviously is 13 to 14-plus rebounds. But in the NBA, he carved out a niche as being a, a on-ball defender and a rebounder. And with, with the Pistons, helped them win a couple titles. And then they shipped him off to San Antonio, and he just kind of, you know, changed. Yeah. It didn't work there. Yeah. Didn't work. I remember those games. I remember because the Lakers were kind of, after Magic re- retired, they were bad for that one year. And they were kind of revamping themselves under Dal Harris. And it was like, okay, the, these Spurs could win this title if they get it together. You know, Sean Alley was a good player. David Robinson was asked yeah. at the height of his powers. And – they just didn't have a team that people really liked. Yeah, and they, yeah. Their personality was just not dominant. So when Rodman came, every just everything he did was magnified. First of all, he had the goofy hair. And then like they made big deals about that. He took off his shoes sometimes on the on the bench. It was like, oh my God, it's World War Three or it's it's you know, it's a bombing of Pearl Harbor because Dennis Rodman took his shoes off. It's like relax. Like they just couldn't handle it well. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, maybe it was Rodman, maybe it was them as well, and uh, didn't work out well. And and then there was that calculated risk, like is this going to work out in in if he goes to Chicago? And and it just Jordan had the right temperament, and those guys had the uh, the status that Rodman probably uh, craved or needed to be like, hey, I'm going to get my shit right. And even then, he still had his moments, as you, we saw in the doc, where he's like, I need to get the hell out of here. This right. is tired of practice, you know. So uh, it's just a kudos to Phil Jackson's ways. His quirky ways were kind of like Rodman's quirky ways. And then Jordan's just dominant personality. And, hey, we're trying to win that that led it. Not that the Spurs were not. It's just the way they had. Everybody yeah. moves differently, and, 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 and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, you know. Um, it's just very interesting how all that made made. So there was a few few good points. I thought, like you said, Isaiah's words were like, "Hey, you know, Isaiah is kind of coming. Like he's kind of being painted like our guy Kraus, but he's not really. He doesn't come off like Kraus to me. You know, like he comes off as a champion, a guy who led those teams and kind of allowed Rodman to like grow into this great player. And he really cares about. He says he really likes him, cares and loves him, Dennis Rodman. So. Yeah, I'm a- I'm a fan of Isaiah Thomas. Uh, I think he's a big time competitor. Kind of paved the way for for yeah. the small scrappy guard. Uh, yeah. I don't think he gets enough credit for how how good he how good he was. Uh, oh yeah. Another thing about Rodman is they you know showed that that thing where he kind of disappeared, went to Vegas to party for a few days, and that reminded me of remember when Cedric Sabalos disappeared from the yeah. Lakers and was yeah, like Jeff, <laughs> I was. I was Sabalos, nah. it's funny, yeah. Go ahead. Eleven or twelve when that happened, and I was yeah. just like, "How does this dude just disappear in the middle of the season?" Imagine if that happened now, and the way that social media is—just the outcry, the memes, yeah. the TMZ trying to find out where these guys are. I mean, it would be just a complete shit show, and it would be amazing at the same time. Yeah. Well, here's the thing: I don't know if you knew the background of that. Um, you know. Again, we talked to a, a guest a long time ago, Dwayne Cooper, who played for the Lakers for a little yeah, while. Remember Dwayne? Uh, he kind of touched on how big and strong Magic's personality was. Like, as much as Magic liked to party or whatever it is he likes to do, 
he would go to practice and practice hard, right? Like set the tone, kind of like Jordan. Yeah. So, uh, but Magic was also like the center of attention a lot of times. And people thought uh, Magic was going to come back to that 92-93 team, right, Devin? He was actually practicing in the preseason. And then it took away a lot of, like, that's all people talked about for a while. Then they talked about Magic was going to be a coach, but he really wanted to play, and that didn't work too well. So then the Lakers were actually getting a good team in 95-96. They would have had a good team without Magic. And it was like Nick Van Exel was coming into his own. Eddie Jones was a good young player. And Cedric Gutzabalos was an all-star in 1995. Yeah. So when he came back in 1996, it was like, okay, you're just throwing me to the side for this old man that's always saying he's going to come back. He's not going to come back. He's going to come back. So I don't think internally a lot of people were big fans of that. But what are they going to say? It's, it's, it's Magic Johnson. You know what I mean? Right. So yeah. that's why Cedric Zabalos, like took off and was pissed off. But like you said, Cedric Sabalos is not Dennis Rodman, so like it didn't go over that way. You know what I mean? That was that was always funny. We're I, that, that's a vivid memory, and the Nick Van Exel comment you brought up just brought up another vivid memory. Because Van Exel was my guy back when I was in like fifth grade, and I would always try to imitate his moves or whatever his flash. I just had a terrible attitude as a as a child. So in the fifth grade. Um, when you got to school, you had to get the basketball. There was one hoop that had a net on it. And if you wanted that hoop, you had to get the ball, sprint to the net, and the first person to make a layup or a shot got that hoop for the whole day. So I got to got there one morning. It was like a Wednesday morning. Sprinted, hit, hit the shot, and another kid, Cole Shandrick, hit a shot after me. And we got into a big argument about who made the shot first to get the net, right? And um, I called him a stupid MFer. In the yeah. fifth grade. So he went and told the teacher who then told the principal. So the principal brought me in the office. Her name was Miss Hempstead. And uh, she was dope. She was like, man, you have a terrible attitude. You act like Nick Van Exel. Um, <laughs> you act like Nick Van Exel. <laughs> and uh, uh, so that, that's just a funny story that I, I'll always remember. But, uh, yeah, but I don't know if you remember that at the end of the season. Nick Van Exel got suspended for popping a little referee in the ref. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yep. The ref exaggerated it and like fell onto the floor. Yeah. And then, like, ten, five days later, Magic Johnson buff, bumped the ref and, like, got suspended. <laughs> like, it was just – it didn't work out internally because I think some of the players, like, Magic would make comments like, oh, what happened to Showtime? It's I want Showtime to come back. And people were like, dude, we're over your Showtime, bro. Like, yeah. you're, you're, like, you're like 55, 60 pounds overweight than what you were in your, in your yeah. prime. It's, like, you yeah. can still pass a little bit, but we don't need you backing down – guys 94 feet and yeah. baby hook shots like we, we we understand we we've been there yeah. we remember it we appreciate it but it's time to move on yeah um <laughs> Matt, yeah. if you guys if you guys are hearing these little things uh popping off it's it's uh balls life co-owner matt rodriguez he's going to join the show in a minute after we talk name image and likeness he's throwing up some some funny stuff on the screen via photoshop but ronnie let's touch touch base real quick on dacian nicks and what he did the other day, earlier this week, that sparked uh, name, image, likeness talks from the NCAA. Dacian Nix was committed to UCLA, five-star point guard, who was going to be a major piece to what they did this season. He opted to decommit, like Isaiah Todd did from uh, uh, Michigan, Michigan, and 
take a G League contract and the reported numbers are like a $300,000 base salary. And obviously he can profit off of name, image, and likeness, have endorsements, things of that nature. First, Ronnie, that's a big blow to UCLA. And then we'll get into name, image, and likeness. How big of a blow do you think it is to the local school? I, I think it's big because of the timing. Sure. You, you know, it's late in the ball game. It's late in the recruiting cycle. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, they have Tiger Campbell. So, uh, you know, there's obviously going to be competition there. It, it would probably make both players better, you know, to say, hey, yeah, I want to be on the floor. Uh, and so I think that hurts their depth, obviously. Uh, they still have a good team. But, again, it's the timing of this. Like, is this going to happen in the future until – the NBA allows players to go straight from high school. Like, are they going to pick off players at any time in the recruiting process, Devin? Like, you know, this is what, uh, May already. And it's like, everybody thought this kid was going to be going there. So I'm sure UCLA is not thrilled about it, but I think they're just more not thrilled about how it, how it went down just as any other college would. And that's where, uh, you know, this initiative, it seems like they've reached a threshold where, we know what the base salary is of where these guys are going to join the G league. So whether they got paid under the table or whether going to Australia or anything, it seems like nobody was getting paid more than 250, 300,000 because those guys are choosing that. (laughs) Nobody's getting paid to go to college for any more, more than that. Because we know the baseline money now because we're seeing the number that is making, you know, kids eyes kind of open wide. Um, so it's, it's funny because the NCAA has always been hiding behind the, the amateurism and, you know, kind of sweeping under the rug, the fact that kids have been getting paid by schools for a long time. And whether it's through a booster or through cars or whatever, like there's many examples of this through history of players getting paid to go to a specific college. This is just exposing the fact that, Hey, the NBA G League has the more money to be able to, you know, pull these kids away from these schools. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, Nick's, I think for UCLA's purpose, it hurts because I think Nick's and Campbell could have played well together on the court at the same time because they're both playmaking guards. Uh, Nick's is a guy who probably needs to improve his jump shot, but is a pretty physical guy who can get to the basket and score around the basket pretty well. And if you surround those two with the right mix of shooters and a big guy who can catch lobs and finish, I mean, that's a real nice lineup. You have Campbell, you know, uh, Knicks, Jalen Hill, uh, Jaime Jaquez, and Jake. Jake Hyman, who can shoot. You know, both those guys can shoot it. Uh, that's a nice little mix of a team. So, yeah, that hurts, and the timing's bad. Um, but it did um, – do you think this kind of forced the NCAA's hand in, you know, releasing that information – on Wednesday about how the the board of governors or group that they put together to like look at name, image, and likeness and how they can change the rules. They, they dropped that, you know, people are kind of saying it's a bombshell or taking victory laps, but if you really read into what they dropped and kind of the, the guardrails as they used, um, there's still a lot of work to be done on players and student athletes being able to profit off their name, image, and likeness. Sure. They can, you know, go sign, autographs at a car dealership for a flat rate or whatever, but there, there's still a lot of loopholes to be, to be sealed up here, Ronnie. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Uh, I think the main thing is that because so many people are talking about this, 
what Knicks did and what Isaiah Todd and Jalen Green did. The NCAA more wants to get – I almost looked at it as like they want to get a PR piece out there. That's what it looked like to me too. Get people talking about, hey, this is what we're going to do because they're going to yeah. have for a bunch of weeks because there's no other sports. People saying, the NCAA is dead. The NCAA is going away. They know that's not true. People in the know that's not true. I mean, the the G League specifically ex- uh, uh, affects how many student athletes compared to there are in, in college athletics, Devin. This is 0.00001%. You take three players or even you take five or six players, still doesn't matter. It's affecting very little of the players. Eventually, those guys will be able to go to the NBA. Right. And – then you have the notion of what is a student athlete really worth? What is a volleyball player at Penn State on the bench worth, Devin? I mean, as far as their their uh, their brand and their likeness, is it worth anything? I, I don't think it's worth more than the value of their scholarship. You know, and so yeah, yeah, you're right. It depends on yeah. There's a lot of different factors here. It's yeah. you know sometimes. Um, these are things I can't really get into comfortably as, you know, uh, someone in, in the media, I guess, as you would yeah. say. But there are other factors at play here, whether it's uh, a male student yeah, who has a, you know, a following outside their sport. Say a volleyball player has, uh, you know, is like a, I don't know, a comedian and they're funny and they do funny videos and they have, you know, a million followers on Instagram or what's the new thing? TikTok is the new thing. Yeah they have a bunch of followers on TikTok and they can profit off of that, that that's different. That makes sense. And that's good that they'll be able to do that. Uh, but yeah, the average run of the mill, say uh, third string middle linebacker at, I don't know, university of Arizona, they're not going to make the same amount of money as the quarterback at Clemson or sure. the, the big time running back at Alabama. So yeah. I think a lot of, are in for a rude awakening with how much they think that they're going to be worth in that name, image, and likeness sphere within the NCAA. It's like, yeah, sure, the top 0.001% of the uh, high school basketball recruits are going to go to the G League and make money. Then those other percent are going to go into the full spectrum, the full pool of college athletes who play college basketball. And how many of those? Let's take a look at like Cade Cunningham. What what's Cade Cunningham's marketability right now? It's uh, you know endorsing a car dealership, and they're going to pay him a lot of money in Oklahoma. He's going to Oklahoma State. Sure. Uh, Evan Mobley is going to SC, so he's going to endorse. I don't know, like what's near SC, a restaurant, right? So like the restaurant's going to pay Evan Mobley to be like, hey, I love going to this restaurant because the food's great, and yeah. You know, the, yeah. the the 10th guy on the bench is not going to have the same opportunity. So I think yeah. once, once the players understand that, you know, the 10th guy on the bench at USC is not going to make the same amount of money or be, have the same marketability as Evan Mobley at USC, then it, that's going to help. Um, but there's going to be some hurt feelings with this, and there's going to be a lot of things that need to be ironed out as far as how do kids become represented by agents or advisors or whatever. Yeah. School, schools can't have any part in it. Boosters can't have any part in it. You can't use it as a recruiting tool to be like, hey, we have this, this, and this followers, you know, on social media or this many fans come to our games or this many businesses um, uh, market themselves with us so we can help you 
you know, earn money from them as well. That can't be used. So it's going to impact, like you said, Ronnie, the top 1% of college athletes uh, in the bigger sports. That's men's basketball and that's football. Yeah. Or uh, like you said, I think they haven't thought about it again. We'll get into it with next week's guest with Mogi Huma, who we had. He'll give us more of like the details and kind of his expertise. We just wanted to touch base on it. I think, Devin, it's going to lead to, like anything else, corruption. If I want a player to, uh, like you said, sign autographs, well, guess what? I'm going to pay some people to go, hey, guys, I'm a booster, Johnny Oil Man booster from Texas. I'm going to pay somebody. Here's $50,000. Go, you kids or use class, go over there to that mall and and that to that kid for that autograph, even though there's really no market, they're going to create fake markets. Sure. They just say, hey, here, here's $50,000. Can you guys go over there and, and sign those autographs, Get go buy his autograph? And magically, that kid has $40,000 in his pocket. Yeah. You know, you're going to see things that are going to be not, not, not above board. And then another thing we'll get into next week, Devin, is Zion Williamson signed a huge deal with Nike, correct? Uh, $75 million in that range. A lot of money, man. How about if he signed too early at Duke or before Duke and lost a lot of money? Yeah. You know, that, that's another possible. You got to know when, if you're a huge name like that, did the year at Duke help him? How much money was that worth? Could he have possibly signed too early coming out of, uh, you know, Spartanburg, out of high school Spartanburg day? Would, you know, there's another science to that. Like you could actually lose too much, lose money if you take the money too soon. How about if he signed with, you know, I don't know, ASICs for one million instead of signing with Nike for 75 million. So again, those are rare things, but those are like, so in other words, the, I guess the whole economics of this whole thing have to be learned after it's passed or after it goes into effect. Yeah. You're going to see some kids be like, damn, I got screwed. I didn't do make the right moves. So yeah, that's where the, that's where the importance of, you know, advisors come in, whether they hire, you know, a specific person at the, school to handle that i mean i don't know how that looks yeah but that's, something that's that i think i think that's probably the most important piece of all of this is finding a way to uh you know help the kids yeah, yeah educate the kids on how to best market themselves and how to best manage their money how to pay taxes on that money uh and you know when it's the right time to take the money and when you know you need to kind of do like a zion williamson did and use that year at Duke to even bolster your stock even more. Yeah. Um, so you know, you know, there's a company right now that's bolstering their stock quite a bit. That's uh, Ball is Life. If Matt would uh, unmute his screen, we could talk to him. But there he is, Matt Rodriguez, co-owner of Ball is Life, doing some great things for the community during a difficult time. Matt, uh, how are you? Number one and number two, give us a little background on the initiative with the um the the masks that balls life is producing i'm doing pretty well um i noticed earlier you guys were talking about tiktok and i'm waiting for ronnie to get a tiktok account can you imagine what kind of stuff he does (laughs) on there i don't know what tiktok does i'm glad i don't know how to how to sign up to the url or like what password you need Two-step verification. I'll never be able to do it without Daniel helping me. So it's a good thing. Uh, Daniel will get all mad and be like, I'm signing this way. But uh, 
Yeah, okay. very interesting. All the things, um, all the things people are doing in in uh, the time of quarantine. Uh, Matt, uh, just tell us, like, you've been around following this because that's kind of your one of your jobs, in essence, quote unquote. Uh, how annoying are people getting in your estimation because there's no live sports right now? Like just the off the thought things people are doing, trying to, play, trying to be funny, trying to make money. Like, do you just think it's just too much or that's just like, uh, what these platforms are for? Um, I mean, I would rather have them being, if you want to call it creative on these platforms, than um, running out to the beaches like people were doing in Huntington and Newport beach. Um, I saw a video the other day of this family basically created their own Olympics in their house. I don't know if any of you saw that. Uh, one of the things I did was uh, most people have like refrigerators that have like a dispense water dispensing system on it. So one of the things they did on there was they tried, they timed how long you could drink out of a straw, the glass while it's being filled up by the water dispenser. <laughs> And that was one of the things in their home Olympics. And then another thing they did was they uh, they slid across the floor to see who could slide the most, the the furthest distance yeah. on their floors. And then another one they had like, uh, you know, those, I think they're called Roombas, the little vacuums. Mm -hmm. They're like automated vacuums. They spin around. They like tape two knives to it and they put balloons all over. So let's say like us three were playing. We would have three balloons in like in my office, for instance, and whichever one was the last balloon standing that didn't get poked by the Roomba would win. Wow. So people are getting super creative on what they're doing. And I don't see that <clears throat> as a as a negative in any way, as long as they're, you know, being responsible and staying indoors um, and not wreaking havoc on other people. And taking the situation just seriously, period. Um, for me, one of the big things that uh, I've had to do is, is just like stay on top of everything and knowing what we can do as, as a small business, what we can and can't do um, as much as possible. Just if, if any of uh, you know, our team members have questions or if they have any concerns, just be ready to, to answer those things as best as we possibly can. <clears throat> Got it. Um, Discuss the mass initiative, like you mentioned, and why and how you came up to donate 25% of all the proceeds to a special organization. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so with the masks, um, honestly, it's <clears throat> it's more the people that work in our uh, production warehouse here in Irvine. I came in one day and I saw these really cool masks being worn <laughs> by a couple of the people in the back. And I was just like, hey, where'd you guys where'd you guys get those? Like, how did you, how'd you do that? And they're just like, Oh, we just used some of the leftover fabric we had in the back that we, we had, uh, we purchased some fabric a couple of years ago for some stuff we made for one of our events. And it was just like sitting there. Um, so they went and like cut out like a pattern and created a mask out of it. And I was kind of intrigued by it. Like, Oh wow. Like, do we have any more of this fabric? Like what can we go and buy some bulk fabric? Um, and Come to find out <clears throat> the bulk fabric lines were between two and two and a half hours long. Um, their prices were going up, <laughs> of course, during this time because everybody wanted to, to make masks. Um, so one of our team members found a solution. We had these 
um, uniforms. We had like a uniform initiative uh, a while back and we just had them sitting there and we have a ton of them, like hundreds of these uniforms, um, different colors, shorts, jerseys, and they're all made of like this really nice uh, moisture wicking material. So he was just like, hey, like if we can get by this for this now until we, we find some bulk fabric, what we can do is we can just cut the patterns out of these uniforms. Um, so that's kind of what we've been doing. Um, we invested in a few more sewing machines uh, and just put people, you know, back to work on uh, changing production in, in our warehouse from being um, just screen print and, and sublimation and order fulfillment to creating masks over the past few weeks. Um, and for me, I just see it more as like, hey, I'm putting people back to work or keeping them working. <clears throat> They're taking pride in it because it was their idea. Um, sure. And and we're putting out, we're using, you know, an item that we already had. We're just changing the use of that item from a basketball jersey to a mask. <clears throat> and we're giving people something that uh, many can't seem to find in many places around the area. But not only are they able to buy it, but they're able to support a good cause along the way. Um, and the reason why we chose the cause that we chose um, was I was watching 60 Minutes. I don't watch a ton of uh, traditional linear TV, uh, but when I do, I do record all of the 60 Minute shows. Um, it's one of the, for me, just one of the spots to get like true journalism in a day and time today where social media kind of rules a lot of people's opinions because they get stuck in these like small little circles or bubbles. Sure. Um, and and watching that, I saw uh, the World Central Kitchen on there and what they were doing. And a, a lot of what they were saying and doing made complete sense. Um, I know we, <clears throat> as a country, have been trying to deal with this entire crisis as best as we possibly can. And there's been a lot of ideas presented and things have been kind of rolling out rather quickly. Um, and there are going to be uh, negative side effects to things being rolled out so quickly, unfortunately, but it's it's what happens when you have an economy the size of ours and with the population we have. Um, but one of the things that stuck out to me was when Andres was talking on there and he was sent, talking about the supply chain of restaurants. Um, it goes much deeper than just the employees that work in a specific restaurant. It goes from the people that deliver the food to the restaurant to the people that are packaging um, whatever is supplied to that restaurant, whether it's a vegetarian or, or a vegan restaurant and they're mainly going plant-based or it's dairy to, to restaurants or whether it's meat products or meat byproducts, all those things right now are kind of at a standstill. <clears throat> so what the world central kitchen is, is doing is working with local restaurants and paying them to create meals for people to give out for free. And whether that's folks that just, you know, are out of work right now because the, the uh, soup kitchens and uh, uh, food distributors that, that just do it for the good of doing it are running out of things. Um, they're just, you know, giving people meals to eat because if you don't have a job and you don't have food to eat, things could get much worse. Um, so for me, they're, they're kind of, you know, killing a couple birds with one stone by, you know, supplying uh, food to people that are in need um, by keeping people working, not only in the restaurant business, but the supply chain and overall just doing something that um, 
is just is being a good human being. <clears throat> yeah. Um, as you mentioned, you know, it's a good thing, a good cause. And so you guys get the scope of it. The listeners is 25% of all sales are going to the World Central Kitchen. Uh, Matt, tell us real quick how you can order Ball's Life Mask. Uh, just people that maybe don't use our shop. Where, where do you go? How, how do you get the mask? Um, you can just go on shop.ballslife.com um, and uh, you'll be able to find it on there. You can either type in uh, mask or in the search bar or um, you can click the spring collection because that's what it's on. Um, additionally, with our spring collection, we're donating 10% of that. Um, but also realize you don't have to you don't have to buy a mask or um, buy anything from us to support the cause. You can go directly to them as well and support them with a lot more than 25 percent um, of our what, what we're contributing. Um, and then also additionally, it's just good to, you know, just spread the word about things, too. Like we don't we don't need you just to support by um, purchasing something. I think spreading the word helps a lot, too. <clears throat> I can I can vouch for the mask. I have one. I've worn it a handful of times and uh it's comfortable breathable feels good on the face doesn't irritate your face um but like you said matt this a it's a great organization and what they're doing uh on the front line and behind the scenes are just it's just um, um incomparable to uh uh and something that is extremely important right now um but yeah please go to shop.ballislife.com and, and get your masks as we want to help out as many people as we possibly can during this time. But Matt, we're going to transition into um, another side of this and how social media, especially from kind of the standpoint of how sports accounts have changed their coverage during this time where there's no live sports and what they're doing is kind of similar, actually very similar. It's not mince words here to what ball is life kind of started on and how it's how ball's life has evolved over the last however many years how many years has it been matt 15 16 years since may of 2005 yeah it's been a little while it's been right. yeah 15 years so, kind of go back to how you guys started and now how you're seeing the bigger sports media companies whether it be sports center or fox sports one or whomever kind of taking that uh, groundwork that you laid and now using it during this time? Um, you know, I think any coverage is, is good coverage. I think it's a testament to what we've done and what we've learned over time. Um, we, the one thing that our team really prides ourselves on is um, we're not just keeping the ball rolling or taking something what of what somebody else is doing. We've really innovated and we really made a lot of mistakes along the way to get to where we are today. Um, and if people are, are learning from us and they're making, you know, the space better, that's good. Um, I just, the only thing that concerns me a lot of times is uh, when I see somebody just completely change the direction of who they are and who their brand is completely. Um, that to me is just a big shocker, especially being somebody who, you know, I would call myself more of like a specialist in in branding and and uh, and just awareness and what type of message you're you're kind of giving off as a brand. That shocks me. Um, even when I was going to school for for what I do, like um, one of the biggest things that we always paid attention to was when somebody would even just change something that's like a logo, and you would kind of lose your whole identity 
as a business and as a company and, and overall as a brand, when you do that, if it's like so much different, like, yes, on the surface, it looks like, oh, we're just updating it and making it look nicer. Like, yeah, sure. But what about all those years of brand awareness that you spread with a specific uh, logo and you're not doing bad, you're doing great. And this is supposed to be like your new direction. Like it would just never, ever make sense to me. Um, and I've never really seen it, you know, come out in a very, very good way. Like if you want to look at one of the most famous brands of all time, like Nike, like why would they ever change the, sh the swoosh? There's no mm -hmm. reason to. Yeah. Um, they, they have like the block Nike logo too. Uh, but, but I think people need to also take that more also in like the direction of you as as a as a media brand too because people look to you for information that you know they want to reference uh, everybody loves to have debates with each other i mean we'll, we'll have debates in the office at times um but if i'm debating about something that is just clickbait and there's not enough you know available evidence about somebody shooting a ball into a cup of water or something like that like that's kind of silly to me. Like what direction are you really taking uh, at that point? <clears throat> yeah. Um, that makes sense in terms of, uh, you know, people changing, why ch change was what's bro what's not broken. Um, same thing with like, I'm just taking off the cup is like sports illustrated. Uh, I'm sure Devin can allude to it as well as that brand is, you would think like you mentioned 60 minutes to watch quality linear television, like, if I think Sports Illustrated for 50 years, I'm thinking like I'm gonna get a really well-written quality article about some sports figures. So now when you see them and they're covering recruiting like 247 arrivals, it's like wow, that's just a huge change. Yeah, um, a huge difference in what they're doing. And, and, like, who's, and the crazy thing to me is, is like everybody, it seems like especially with that one with Sports Illustrated. Yeah, and I don't know too much about their business, but this is just somebody looking at it on the surface is okay. Like, like you just said, you read them to get something that was really good and really well put together as, you know, a magazine. Yeah. Um, I would compare that maybe how some people treat their favorite magazine, like, like a time magazine. Sure. Um, why do you change from that? Like, what are you trying to achieve? What's the overall goal? Like, yeah. are you trying to chase something that is unachievable by making all these changes? and completely going away from what you are as a media brand. Like to me, instead of doing that, you should have found a way uh, to, to keep that going, Yeah. But, but change it up in a different way. Sure. So for like us, we, we loved mixtapes when we were younger. So what do we do? We, instead of using a VHS tape for people to watch it, we put it online. Yeah. I mean, there's there's ways to to increase, you know, awareness of what you're doing while also keeping your brand image like, yeah, we, we still make mixtapes today. Um, people want to see more more full highlights of games and they don't want them a week from now. They want them today so we can give that to them quicker. We source it to them much faster. Yeah. Um, and then even with the new revamp of the website, we've turned it into a resource site where you can get factual data and information about guys going all the way back to when like magic johnson when he was in high school yeah so exactly. I, I think i think you still have to have that level of credibility and and that i guess code of honor that we all try to uphold but um i just 
like who runs those businesses? Is it really even somebody that holds that that code of honor anymore? No, in many respects, I would I would say no. You're you're exactly right. It's it's funny that you mentioned the kind of evolution of what you're doing. I'm sure we'll talk about that in future episodes. I, I uh, had this is before you guys would even even worry about this stuff. Uh, you know, I would make a couple highlight tapes for my buddies or guys are trying to uh, get to college or something with two VCRs. It would take a lot of time and you have to use like an audio outsource to get some music, on it, which you obviously didn't have the rights to, but you just made it. And I made a few of these in the mid nineties and going in maybe to the late nineties. And I realized I made them really long. So like you said, people want it now. They want it quick. They want it cut well. And I know it was good video because it was college video and high school video. I was putting it together and I was using some rap music that my friends would like. So I showed it to a couple of my good buddies and they're like, I could see the reaction on their faces is like, okay, this is cool, but it's way too long to watch. Like it was like an hour and a half, you know, cause I'm using Jerry Stackhouse. I'm using a high school player. I'm using. Ronnie was making a movie. Yeah. I was I was making a movie. Movie. You're making a movie. He's trying yeah. to have a theatrical release. Yeah. So like I have <laughs> I still have it today, but I realized, like, as I met you and Audic and others, like, dude, people want this faster, and they want it, like, to be a couple minutes, and then they're on to the next one. Like, it couldn't keep their attention. So I, I learned a lot about that over the, the course of, of the years watching various highlights. And now, like you said, now people can't even really wait for the mixtape. They want the highlights, right, 20 minutes or whatever after the game. So mm-hmm. in, in, that, in that regard, you know um, – at what point did you think like huge businesses that were turning a profit realized they had to spend more more time on social media and these type of things? When did in your estimation that that happened? Um I think it happened pretty early on. Um it wasn't as much as when it happened versus um like first are you talking about media companies or actual like brands? Uh, mostly, I would say media companies like uh, that cover cover uh, you know sports, live sports, and then they put it online or they they make new segments and or reels and put it out there. I think sports media companies were pretty early adapters to it. Yeah. The problem was that they, due to competition, they had to put too much information on there, and because sports information is so readily available and easy to uh, emulate everybody was posting the same information so why would i go on si.com to to see the latest highlights from you know the the last laker game um when i can just go on twitter and see it there mm-hmm. yeah and i can see all these other things pop up on my timeline why would i get the bleacher report app for that sends me notifications when I'm already scrolling on Instagram. Like there's no need for me to. So it forced people that are media companies um, to essentially have to put everything on the social platform. And when you do that, you completely lose your audience. So I see one of the things that I love seeing people talk about is how big their audience is on, on each platform. And for me, every single time that I represent our audience on a platform, I let them know, like, 
that's Instagram's audience. That's yeah. Twitter's audience. That's Snapchat's audience. That's not my audience. I have no access to them. I have no control over that audience whatsoever. We mm-hmm. produce content that lives on those platforms and is delivered to their audience. It's not mine. Yeah. So I think with with that being said, it's more of like, hey, like we gave all the power to these third-party social platforms. And we helped them become what they were. And we essentially work for them for free. Yes. They all say they're not media companies. They all say all this stuff, but there's there's no there's no way around it. Like if if SI wants to post something about that game, well, Bleacher Report's gonna post it, ESPN's gonna post it, um, Slam's gonna post it, like everybody's gonna post something. And then at the end of the day, they're not posting it on their website. Nobody wants to go read your story on your website that has two sentences in a video. Yeah. 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 One of the things that this reminds me of Matt, is we talk about this a lot in the group chat and kind of goes in hand in hand with the SI falling off a little bit is people are literally tweeting their entire story on Twitter because like a personal, like a writer writes a story and they go on their personal Twitter and they literally will like, like tease it with one tweet and put the link and then, but then they'll follow it with like 10 more tweets in a thread, just telling the entire story. So why would someone click that link to go read the story when they can just literally consume the entire entirety of the story and the content on the platform that they're on? Yeah, I know in talking to you, you said that you told me that like they're being told to do that many times. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, like they want them to do stuff like that. So for me seeing that, I'm just like, uh, no, like, why would you spend all this time writing a story just so that you can get some clicks on your own personal Twitter account? Well, here's, here's the issue that comes up when you say that is as someone being who's in the who was in the print journalism world for a while and dealt with a lot of the things that print journalists now are dealing with, with furloughs and then being, you know, what I was told was with the with the Orange County Register and Los Angeles Register that I worked for was my my job was being eliminated was what. I was told when they laid me off is if you don't bolster your personal brand in this current state of sports media and print media, it's really difficult for you to then get another job because your personal brand is extremely important to show newspapers, to show whatever it may be. An online publication is like, Hey, I have this many followers. I have this stupid blue check mark that no one gives a fuck about. And this is what's important uh, you have to, you know, market yourself at the same time working under a media company that is looking for the first opportunity to cut you loose. Yes, but I think there's a middle. I think there's a middle ground to your presence on a social platform. So if you're if you're just tweeting out your entire story that you just wrote for for said media company, um, that's one thing. I think I think Twitter is a good place to have discussions with people um, that maybe are not completely about that that article or if you want to tease that article in a way to develop discussion. Um, so like what you do sometimes when somebody asks a question about your guys's podcast or latest article you guys wrote is all those questions can be found here in this article. Right. For I, sure. think, I think, I think there's a way and a medium, a medium ground to do that. But unfortunately uh, many of these companies are ran by individuals who are kind of learning as they go. Mm-hmm. Like imagine, imagine somebody getting a social media position that 
they've been like a journalist their whole life and now they're expected to be like a social media person. Yeah, it's too they don't know anything. It's two totally different skill sets. Completely. Yeah, they, they, they don't know anything. Oh, don't worry. It's easy. You just post a tweet. No. Or you it's just post perfect. a status on Facebook. Or you just, you know, you just put post a picture with something on, on Instagram. Like, no, it's not. Yeah. It's, yes, it is that easy to do something, but you have to be more methodical on how you present your information. <clears throat> yeah. That's um, different. I agree with both you guys saying how much different it is and the strategies that go behind it. Um just a, a, a give us the high line here, Matt. Is it more frustrating that there's so many social media copycats or people that mimic, or do you think is it empowering your team because it just makes them or forces them to get better at what they do? I mean, is the competition just making your team better, or is it just like, geez, it's just people just cutting the same thing up in a different way and they're just mimicking? You know, what 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 does that mean, or what does that mean for your team? There's a few different ways that I look at it. So one is if we post something that's really popular, we've noticed that there's essentially like an army of people that go and look at what we post for other media companies. And then they pretty much just take what we post and repost it on their own thing. Um, and there's evidence of this that we've seen multiple times. It happens literally within minutes of, of us posting something and it doing well. Let's name some names. Um, you guys. <laughs> All the big media companies do it. I'll say that all of them, every single one of them. There we go. But, uh, but there, so there's that aspect of it. And so, so if, if Joe Blow is working for one of those big media companies, he's making himself look good by um, posting something that he knows is going to get very good reaction based off looking at us. So yeah. there's that happening, which is very frustrating. Sure. Um, Two is there's people that have come up in our in our uh, niche that we've created um, that to me don't represent the space very well, um, and they're taking all different types of different angles, and they're it's very public, um, and that in turn makes us look bad because they're heavily associated with us in the space that we're in. So as they take advantage of a situation or a kid or whatever it may be, it's a direct reflection on the space. And regardless if you're that person or ball is life, they're going to treat you the same. Yes. So there's that issue that's happening. And then you have um, young kids taking all your videos and reposting them across all their accounts to try to gain notoriety and build up their own little, you know, Instagram page or Twitter page. And that can be very frustrating. Um, because many times what they'll do is they'll crop out our logo, they'll <laughs> add their own logo over the top of it. And then it seems as if like that's theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, and for us, it's like, man, we spend a lot of money, time and effort producing something. Um, and some of these pages end up getting like millions of fans and we don't want somebody doing that to our content. Like if you ask us, most of the time we're going to say like, yeah, you can repost it, but just make sure you, you tag us and, you know, keep our, our branding in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then alternately, there's another side of that where those people who do that are getting big enough <laughs> where they go and get hired by a major company for seven figure deals Uh-oh. and they make it, and they make it seem like it's this crazy sweet science that oh my, only I can do it. Sure. So that's why you have to pay me this massive salary. I'm going to change the whole direction of what you're doing and we're just going to kill it. 
And to me, when I see that, I'm just like, what are you doing? Like, it's not a sweet science. It's, it's that person built that page off of literally reposting somebody else's content. Yeah. Which is like Rex Chapman. He's gotten so popular on Twitter with reposting other people's videos. <laughs> it's just, it's yep. just, it's mind boggling to me. It really is. It's, yep. That's like, very you know, I get it. Like they're funny videos and like they're cool. You add a little catchy caption and people are going to start following because that's just how we, we operate these days, especially on social media. It's just, it's, it's just a crazy concept to me. Yeah. Who would have ever thought like an ex NBA player would just get popular or like reinvent himself by just posting other people. Yeah. And, and, in in cats and in our goofy <laughs> it's not even like his videos like he's literally taking it and like clicking it and just, or saving it to his phone or computer or just you know reposting it like and, and not giving credit it's just it's wild to me it's wild it's mind-blowing um matt how strongly do you feel that in closing out here that watching highlights or uh, a, a mixtape or quick hitters how does that um, shape people's opinions and perceptions of sports compared to when people used to watch like a full game or listen on the radio? Like is sports completely different than it was 30 years ago, 20 years ago, just because we're consuming it different. Or is there any, like people can understand the, you know, watching a game versus seems like people's opinions are now for, created by watching two minutes worth of highlights. And that's all you have to do is go read the comments on any of one any of our highlight videos. Every one of those 13 and 14 year olds is a damn seasoned veteran scout. They know everything about everybody and how they can handle defenses and how this like 15, 16 year old would play in the NBA back in the 80s. And like they know everything, Ronnie. Yeah. Just based off of like watching a 15 minute highlight video. They're trying to they're trying to get a seven figure deal from Ball's life and the comments. <laughs> so so to me, I think what is not necessarily looking at the highlight videos. Uh, that's what's really changed it. It's that people have too much of a voice today um, with a lot of these platforms, and it's there's nothing you can really do about it. It is what it is with social media. Like yeah. social media just allows you to you know create 25 different accounts and uh, KD. Um, and say what you need to say, yeah. however, which way you want to say it and argue it in a way that that makes sense for you. You don't have to have your picture on there. You don't have to say who you are. You don't have to say where you're from. You don't have to show your resume on anything. You just get to say whatever the hell you want to say when you want to say it. And uh, yeah, that's just the way it works. Whereas for me, when I was a kid, and I'm sure you guys can attest to this too, is, I mean, I saw the highlights of Jordan, but what did that make me want to do? I wanted to go watch his games. Yeah, or play and get better. I, I agree. Or whatever, whatever, whatever channel he was playing on that night, and I would watch the whole game uh, just to catch a few highlights. <clears throat> yeah, it's very interesting. Two things that I noticed based on that, and it just happened this week, is people said, uh, oh, man, Scottie Pippen just did a number on Magic Johnson. Yeah, because you just watched the highlights of that series. If you watched that series, the 91 finals in real life, like, nobody – not one person said after the series, the Lakers lost because Magic Johnson just got locked up by Scottie Pippen. Like, <laughs> they're saying that now, 30 years later, because they saw some narrative of some highlights that Pippen's a good defender, which he is a great defender. But, like, 
Magic had a really good series. The Lakers were just a little slow and methodical, and they didn't have the foot speed to really keep up. But that wasn't even the best team. Yeah, and it's just, you know, they were – Johnson and Vlade Divac starting at center. Vlade Divac's a good center, good basketball player, but, like, he's not helping you beat that Bulls team. It's just – it's not going to happen. Yeah, well, yeah, that's the narrative that the documentary didn't mention is that Portland went to the finals in 90. Portland went to the finals in 92, but that their best team record-wise was in 91 and the Lakers beat them. Right. Like, that was one of the, like, wow, the Lakers did it one more time. And like you said, they were just a little older and didn't have maybe that athletic young player to keep up with Pippen and Jordan. So back to Matt's point, they, it, now everybody's opinion is shaped by a couple little highlights. Um, I, and think, I think it's one of the most frustrating things for me, and I've, I've spoken about this with uh, our guy David, is it doesn't matter how many times people have said for the past, I don't know, 20 years, or actually we'll, we'll just say less than that because social media hasn't, yeah. been on for it for that long let's just say 10 15 years of what people have shown the accolades of of jordan and pippen and the bulls the younger crowd did not respect it until they watched this documentary mm-hmm. all those things have been out there when he won all those awards in one year that's been out there and then all of a sudden you go on twitter and everybody's like oh my god he won all these awards in one year yeah, yeah, no shit. We've been saying that for, for the last decade. Yeah, for 10 years, Davis has been playing all-star game MVP, dunk champion, defensive player of the year, scoring champion MVP. And like, whoa, he did all that? It's, yeah, the, the image is powerful. Um, yeah, people don't do the history, as you mentioned, on like the game or – But even uh, when they do it, they, they discount it. It's, yeah. oh, he played against a bunch of bums or some – or plumbers, like they like to say. Yeah. And it's like, dude, like – you can't, you can't discount the era before you or or the one two two eras before you. Like basketball has changed way too much. Then, um, I think the other argument now that I've seen people have is just like the athletes and how much it's evolved and changed. I mean, yeah, we have football players playing basketball nowadays, but does that mean that they're more skilled and they have higher IQ? No, yeah. I, I don't. I don't know if you can. I don't know if you can argue that. Yeah, like I, I, Jordan, Jordan in the documentary lifted weights because he was getting beat up, like mentally and physically. He needed he needed to, to to have more ammo to go against that team the next year. Why are guys lifting weights today when you're just coming down and jacking threes? What is that weight doing for you? Well, that's what that's what we were talking about earlier. Is imagine imagine Steph Curry going down and getting crushed by Rick Mahorn or Bill Lambeer <laughs> for you know. 75 games of the of the season or the rest of the season which is a completely different game and the comments section on youtube is a brutal place if you ever want to test your ability to uh take criticism go on youtube <laughs> and all those live videos and have these 11 12 and 13 year olds just rip you apart that could mess up your whole week it really can they are just <laughs> interesting but uh yeah man we appreciate your time and uh you touched on some things we're going to touch on as Devin mentioned, we're, we're going to touch more on the name, image, and likeness in the future. You did mention about the credibility of content. Uh, you know, we have started an initiative where we want all the um, data and all uh, the accolades of players, especially going back to their high school days, to be credible and online. And we'll talk about that in, in a future podcast. 
as we keep growing that and involving that. And we may even have you back on and talk about that. For sure. Not anytime. Later, I'm, Matt. Uh, I'm looking forward to the Ron M. Flores TikTok account Good. and watching you learn the platform before the next time I come on. You should make this you should make it a required task for Ronnie to do. <laughs> <laughs> Man, right, I'm speechless. But thank you. Later, Matt. So yeah, you know, uh Devin, Matt touched up on a lot of uh we touched up on a lot of things. We wanted to mainly talk about the world central kitchen and as you mentioned, the masks are comfortable. They're not uh, painter's masks or carpenter's masks as you talk about. They're real hard to breathe in. They're pretty comfortable. And we're not just blowing smoke in your ass. If you really need some, just consider ordering some from the Balls Life shop, uh, shop.ballslife.com. They are really comfortable because they're comfortable material. Yeah. Yep. Yep. He mentioned some good points about, you know, how people are making a lot of money. And we'll see how long it lasts. Some of this stuff I don't see lasting forever. Like just taking people's ideas and, and repurposing them. Uh, obviously you, you have your own scouting service and you have a lot of your own personal thoughts that if you read your content, that it, it, it'd be your thought me, I'm in the same boat, but maybe mine's is more like a little more historical or I can mm-hmm. write something that's older. And that's where I try to try to make my content. Like, uh, I guess original or standalone, um, so we'll we'll talk about that in a future pod. We'll we'll get some guests on and talk about player rankings, rankings of players from a long time ago, meaning twenty plus years ago, before the recruiting services came out. We'll 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 get to that, dive on that maybe in a month or so. We'll see how long we're in quarantine. I think that will affect a lot of what we we talk about in the future. But uh, let's touch a little bit about what we're going to talk about next week. We mentioned that briefly. We want to get our guy Mogi Huma. Uh, he talked a lot about uh, the NCAA and um, the having the ability through the uh, California kind of like law that was passed. SB 206. Yeah, we'll touch up on SB 206 a bit. But I, I think you made a good point is for the for the next pod is we're going to go from advocating and fighting for players having more rights to them studying it and knowing what that actually means. I think right now we're not there. No. They, people don't know what the hell does that mean. You know? yeah. So now you got these rights in 2021. What do you do with them? What does it mean? Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. Give us a little highlight sense on that, and then we'll close it out. Yeah, Ramogi is going to be able to give us a better yeah. feel of what exactly needs to be targeted to yeah. help these student athletes, you know, um, navigate the, the name image and likeness rules and what they can and can't do, how they can utilize, uh, their school or businesses surrounding their school or anything that any business that comes to them and wants them to endorse their product, uh, what's right and what's wrong. It's going to be, there's a lot of, uh, legal loopholes and there's a lot of even like, like in the wording of the NCAA, put out if you read it real closely i mean they're talking about guardrails and certain things that can and can't be done and uh regulation on you know what can and can't be done so there's there's a lot more that needs to come out for people who are taking you know victory laps and being like yeah this is what has needed to be done for you know a long time now ncaa is finally realizing the g league is putting pressure on them blah 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 blah. 
it's still it's still a long way out. It's still a long way out. They're talking about they're they're trying to get it voted on by you know prior to the 221-222 school year. I yeah. mean, there's a lot of kinks to be worked out and red tape to to kind of cut through to make sure that uh, the system that they're trying to implement is something that's foolproof. And yeah. it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. But Ramogi Huma is going to join us next week to help us uh, sort through all of that. And Ronnie, you mentioned my scouting service and I kind of wanted to take the end of this pod to kind of plug what myself and AJ Gaspor are, are trying to do to help kids during this time. Uh, I'm sure I'm, I sent you the tweet, Ronnie, and you reposted it for me. And I appreciate that. Um, we're basically taking it. You send me game film and I'm breaking it down and providing you a player, a personal scouting report on what I see uh, strengths and areas you can improve your game uh, while we're in quarantine as you lose, you know, potential opportunities to be seen in front of college coaches and opportunities to continue your development because maybe you can't get into a gym or maybe you can't yeah. get, get to a park. Um, and then in addition to my scouting report, I have a database of uh, training tools that AJ Gaspora has developed. Um, he's a good trainer. Uh, he's developed them. He has videos on there and you get a link to that and access to that as well. And this is all free of charge, Ronnie. I've had people reach out to me and be like, Oh, how much, how much is this? This is no cost. Email me legitimate game film. Yeah. Give me your vitals, your full name, height, yeah. position, uniform number uh, in the respective film you sent me. And, you know, if you want to include your GPA, whatever, anything you want, send it to me with a link to the film, Devin at ballislife.com. And I'll break that down and get it back to you as soon as I can. Yeah, that's good information for people to have, young players to have, parents to have. Like you said, it's free of charge. We'll see how long we're on quarantine, you know, um, or, you know, you'll you gladly do it for now. And that that's a good service to kids who can't get out and play five, five on five right now. Um, as we mentioned, you know, we'll, we'll keep mentioning that for as long as we're we'll see how yeah. long quarantine lasts or how long you and AJ can keep it up. Uh, obviously, AJ uh, was a, a two time state champion at Artesia High School, went on to play at the junior college level and the and the college level, and he has a lot of insight uh, to how it works. And and AJ wasn't like, uh, to give you guys some background, it wasn't like his career was all peaches and rosy and it went exactly like he wanted to. Like he overcame some hurdles and obstacles to now he understands at a young age, because I can still consider him young, like what it is that he can do to help kids were in, were, that are in high school that we see coming up through high school. So yeah. that's a good, good initiative. Like I said, we'll next week we'll talk, take a deeper dive into name, image, and likeness. And we'll keep talking about the Balls Life initiatives that we're working on. Uh, Devin, as you close it out, tell people again how they can get the masks. And uh, like I said, in the future, we'll talk about some other things we're working on with Balls Life. Yeah. So the masks can be purchased at shop dot ballislife.com and 25% of all proceeds on masks that are purchased will be donated to the world central kitchen. Uh, check it out, go on their website. It's a great uh, organization. And if you don't need masks and you just want to donate, I mean, feel free to go to world central kitchen and, and, you know, help them out. Cause what they're doing on the front lines of this is just extremely important um, for not only people, uh, but also restaurants who are struggling during this time. Um, but Ronnie, until next week, I think we can sign off now. This is a pretty long pod. We, we were like, we're going to do a short one this week. And, yeah. uh, but 
um, make sure you guys go back to episode uh, 63 and 64 and tune into that as well, because we had two um, big time guests uh, on 63. It was Eric Bossy of rivals.com. And on 64, it was Evan Daniels of two, two, four, seven sports. They were talking about the G league pathway program and um, how it impacts uh, high school prospects at the, at the top and how it could impact college basketball moving forward. Um, but until next week, you can find all of these episodes on uh, SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your podcast, we are there. We appreciate you guys listening in to episode 65 of the In the Paint Show. Hope everyone is staying safe and healthy. Uh, but until next week, Ronnie and Devin are signing off.